Hi, a willing nerd here, lacking in sleep to bring you 20-minute summaries of the top news from over 30 weekly pieces and to show you why they matter. I'm Marcela Licastro and here's your homework. Hey everyone, today I'll be covering news from Monday, September 7th to Sunday, September 13th. And I'll split this week's news up into four main topics. Coronavirus, diplomacy, human rights, and the interesting news story of the week. So every week I'll try to find the main themes in the news that I read. And I'll always try to add a somewhat unusual piece of news to complement your dinner conversations. An informative note, I get all my news from various news sources, including Reuters, CNN, BBC, The Guardian, Bloomberg, even Fox News. I try to include as many perspectives as possible and will cite the vast majority of the information that I share here. But if you have any questions, want any resources, or want to see my complete list of sources, please feel free to email heresyourhw at gmail.com and your questions will be answered. On to this week's first topic, main coronavirus news. Last week, Russia completed the early trials of a second potential vaccine by Siberia's Vector Virology Institute. Results for early trials of this second potential vaccine are due September 30th. Now, it's worth remembering that Russia's first vaccine, Sputnik V, developed by Moscow's Gamaleya Institute, is already in its late-stage trials. They started these late-stage trials in the beginning of September. There has been significant questioning of the Russian vaccine. As CNBC noted, 27 scientists based in Europe, the US, and Asia have signed an open letter to the editor of the Lancet Medical Journal, where early-stage trial results for Sputnik V were published, questioning the trial results. Enrico Bucci, a professor at Temple University in the United States, said that, while potentially of great interest, the research described in the article published by The Lancet presents several different points of concern. Everyone is worried about Russia's Sputnik V vaccine because of a lack of information. While Oxford University's vaccine developed by AstraZeneca has provided 128 pages of supplementary material for peers to review, there's been a significant lack of data for this Sputnik V vaccine. Russia's Sputnik V vaccine actually skipped phase three large-scale safety trials, which according to The Guardian actually take months. Instead, these phase three trials will be conducted in parallel with mass production of the vaccine. Not only this, but there's been a lack of data about this vaccine. According to Danny Altman, professor of immunology at Imperial College, open quote, I have spent a long time trying to track all the candidate vaccines through the evidence that's been published and preprints. What has been noticeably unusual is that there's been almost no information and none that's been peer reviewed on this Russian vaccine apart from on the clinical test website, end quote. So the controversy on this Sputnik vaccine is caused by 
a lack of data, and by Russia's opposition to the usual due processes in developing a vaccine. Granted, scientists want to rush this procedure. Vaccines usually takes years to develop and everyone is trying to develop this vaccine in months. Of course, we should be worried about a vaccine that hasn't provided us with all the data. We don't want side effects to this vaccine. We want to make sure that if the countries are purchasing this vaccine, that it will ensure the safety of their civilians. When citizens are vaccinated, there will come a certain, a certain idea of safety. The economy, economies will open back up again and normal life will resume because people will assume that they have been immunized with a vaccine. If they take this vaccine and we find that perhaps it doesn't do a great job at making you immune to the coronavirus, we could risk a lot of cases. Now, there is a political side to this. We have a nearly Cold War-like suspicion of Russia. We know that Russia currently has an authoritarian government. As The Guardian notes, a Moscow teacher actually said that they don't trust the government and because of this, they will not be taking the vaccine. The Russian government is secretive. We know that they have a lot of state control and this makes us wary. Now, to what extent are we wary because of Russia's political system? To what extent are we wary because of this Cold War-like suspicion that a lot of nations like the United States impose on us? Granted, we should be worried about a vaccine that hasn't provided us with all the data, but if these trials in Russia are working, why are we waiting for a UK vaccine, for a US vaccine? Why can't we accept that perhaps this time Russia was first? We've had the Cold War space race. We've had the race towards um, getting more nations into capitalism, getting more nations to communism. And now we've got this healthcare race, this race towards getting a vaccine. And maybe it's time for the Western world to say, you know what? This time we were slower. And I think that's definitely something to consider. Within this topic of vaccines, we also know that on September 9th, AstraZeneca suspended global trials of their vaccine after an illness in a study subject who suffered neurological symptoms from taking this vaccine. However, on September 13th, AstraZeneca resumed UK clinical trials of the vaccine after safety reviewers claimed that it would be safe to resume British trials and other nations are slowly resuming their trials as well. Brazil health register on visa has also resumed trials. Now on to this week's main diplomacy news. This week I chose to focus on two main relationships because of the rich amount of news about them. First, US and China, and second, EU and Britain. According to Reuters, main Chinese technology veterans, including former Huawei and SMIC executives, are planning on launching a domestic replacement fund by the end of 2020 to support technological development in China amidst US sanctions. Venture capital firm China Europe Capital aims to raise $731.46 million for the fund to invest in tech startups. This fund launch comes with a government-backed investment in China's tech sector during this US and China 
tech war. The US and China have been fighting over trade for a long time and now are fighting over technology. The Trump administration has sanctioned firms including DJI drone producer Huawei and Hikvision video surveillance firms. Now, this US and China trade war has been going on for a long time. And again, there are certain root causes to this. According to the Center for Strategic and International Studies, the US has been sanctioning Chinese companies and Chinese goods to keep them out of the US market. The US has several reasons for doing this. According to the FBI and government agencies in Europe and Australia and Japan, China has been engaged in a massive espionage campaign against the United States and other Western countries to open quote, steal technology and give Chinese companies an economic advantage, end quote. Of course, the US says we don't want Chinese firms in our markets because we're worried about the United States' safety. Because of this tech war, because of the US sanctions on Chinese technology goods, the Chinese tech sector has actually slumped since 2019. In 2017, the Chinese tech sector, according to the diplomat, had been unstoppable from 2014 to 2017, Huawei actually doubled in revenues and it was on track to create 1 million jobs annually. That's huge. However, this changed in the last quarter of 2018. We know that US and China have had disputes over data security and intellectual property. And then the United States said, okay, I'm gonna impose tariffs on Chinese technology, goods and other goods as well. What are the effects of these tariffs? US tariffs on Chinese technology goods have decreased Chinese firm revenues because of slow exports to the United States. We need to take into account that actually the information and technology sector in China gets a high percentage of revenue from the United States. Second of all, China's retaliatory tariffs on US technology goods have made it harder for Chinese technology firms to obtain US components and have made these components more expensive. And third of all, US tariffs on Chinese goods have decreased incomes of Chinese companies and consumers as a whole, decreasing domestic spending. So the tariffs that the United States is placing upon Chinese goods are not only impacting Chinese tech companies, but are impacting the Chinese economy as a whole. The United States can definitely have a justification of national security. You want to keep your country safe. However, there's also another side to this. The United States is the world's leading economy, is the world's leading technology producer, and China is threatening that status. The United States is worried that China will become the next superpower and that they will be left behind. So even though the security concerns are completely legitimate on the United States side, to what extent are they limiting the entry of Chinese goods for the sake of their own national economy. Now the second diplomatic topic of the week, EU and Britain. The EU and Britain are currently negotiating a Brexit deal, or at least attempting to. We know that the United Kingdom officially left the EU on January 31st, 2020. However, they are currently on an 11-month transition period. The UK is set to officially leave the EU on December 31st, 2020. 
And by that time, they hope and the EU hope to have reached a deal on trade. Currently, the UK remains in the EU customs union and single market and continues to obey EU rules. It is no longer part of EU political institutions, but it is still very much a part of the European Union during this transition period, all of this information coming from the BBC. These negotiations have become very, very difficult and Boris Johnson is not making it any easier. The United Kingdom wants to be independent from the European Union. They still want to trade with the European Union. They still want to have low tariffs on goods. They want their goods to be able to get to the European Union so that they get export revenues. They want to be able to import goods from the European Union, but they don't want the European Union telling them what to do. Of course, the EU is opposed to this. The EU wants them to be on a level playing field. They want both the UK and the EU to maintain similar standards like workers' rights, environmental protection, state aid for companies. A topic, well, two topics of debate between the UK and the EU have been both fisheries and state aid. Because of this opposition, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson is actually planning on breaking certain terms agreed on the withdrawal agreement that would actually break international law. How does Boris Johnson actually plan on breaking international law? He's going to do what every little child does. He's going to break his promise to the European Union. Why is this a problem? With Boris Johnson wanting to break international law, the UK is potentially headed towards a no-deal Brexit, meaning they would be leaving the European Union come December 31st, 2020, without having reached a trade agreement with the EU. Now, why does this actually matter? Without a deal, according to Reuters, a trillion dollars of trade between the EU and Britain could be thrown into chaos. So it is crucial that they reach a trade agreement between the UK and the EU, not only because of their the importance of their trade, but also because of the 1998 Good Friday Agreement. Like so many of the Brexit negotiations, the point of conflict is the border between Northern Ireland and Ireland. If you're not aware, you know that Northern Ireland is a part of the UK and Ireland is a part of the European Union. However, they are both in the same land mass. Therefore, they are the one and only land border between the UK and the European Union. If the UK leaves the EU without a deal, we could potentially be looking at a border between Northern Ireland and Ireland, which would be going against the 1998 Good Friday Agreement. Now, okay, the UK is definitely caught up in some trust issues with the EU. How is the EU going to trust a nation that is planning on breaking an international deal? How can they trust the next deal if they strike one? How can they trust that the UK will respect that if they are very willing to break their last withdrawal agreement. Even though UK trade with EU is seeing some dark times, on September 11th, the UK actually made a free trade agreement with Japan. It's the UK's first post-Brexit trade deal that will come into force on January 2021. This is actually a very historic moment for the UK. This agreement states that around 99% of UK exports 
can enter Japan free of all tariffs. Not only that, but free trade with Japan is actually going to boost UK tech firms and aid Japanese investors in the UK, like car manufacturers, including Nissan. This trade deal is extremely beneficial to the UK and to Japan. However, it does not compensate for the UK losing their trade with the European Union. Now on to human rights related news. Sadly, September 9th was not a good day for the world. A fire destroyed Greece's largest migrant camp, Moria, and left 13,000 migrants without shelter. Fires broke out across the camp, causes are unknown, and it nearly led to the entire camp burning. Now, Greece, which already has more migrants than it can manage, now has thousands that are displaced and need to find a home. This displacement of 13,000 people isn't only due to a fire. In the previous week, the Moria camp had been placed under quarantine after a Somali migrant tested positive for COVID-19. The site actually reached around 35 confirmed cases. It's so easy for us to blame this tragedy on the coronavirus and on a fire, on accidents that we really can't control. However, according to Doctors Without Borders coordinator for the Lesbos Project, Marco Sandrone, people in Moria had actually been living in inhuman conditions at the site for years. How did the Greek government not expect coronavirus to spread amongst overcrowded conditions in which people lack basic sanitation? The Moria camp was a ticking time bomb, like so many other migrant camps in which migrants are living in inhuman conditions. Now, we can't blame this all on Greece. We know that both Greece and Italy have been suffering under a wave of immigration that exceeds their national capabilities. Many countries in the European Union, including countries in Northern Europe and Central Eastern Europe, have not agreed to take in enough migrants or have simply declined taking migrants at all. The European Union, which claims to be so united, is not aiding Italy and Greece, when in fact they are the countries that need it the most. Italy and Greece have, do not have stable economies. Their economies are fragile and now they've been under this wave of immigration and they don't have the resources to help all these migrants. Often when we're talking about diplomatic news, when we're talking about worldwide issues, we forget to look at the human aspect of issues. Every one of these 13,000 migrants without shelter is someone that has a family, is someone that has hopes for their future, is someone that had to leave their home because of conflict, because their life was in danger. All these people have suffered so much. And once they land in EU soil, they're faced with inhuman conditions. How can we as a population allow that? It's past time that either EU nations agree on a unified migration deal that ensures migrant safety, or if EU nations are not willing to do something about this, then I think it's about time the United Nations did. 
This week's interesting piece of news actually comes from a very unusual source, Disney. Disney has been caught up on a controversy with its movie Mulan. Disney has been making remakes of animated princess movies. They've remade Beauty and the Beast, they've remade Cinderella, and now they wanted to remake Mulan. I mean, this seems like a very good idea, right? We want to see this heroine in action. We want to empower young, young girls to be fighters. However, Disney's production team perhaps was not as socially informed as the movie's creators. Disney partially filmed Mulan in the Xinjiang region, where human rights groups have brought attention to the repression of ethnic Uyghur and other Muslims. Chinese government has been accused of human rights violations. They've been accused of placing these ethnic Uyghur Muslims into labor camps. They've been accused of conducting forced labor, even though they place all of this under the mask of vocational and educational training. Disney partially filmed Mulan on this region and the controversy comes from people wanting to know, first of all, what was Disney thinking? How can Disney agree to collaborate with officials that may be conducting human rights violations? And the second problem with this is everyone is wondering, did Disney use forced labor in the production of this movie? Perhaps Disney didn't do this on purpose. They wanted to make a film, film it on a place that would look good, and they ended up picking that region. Now, if this was their intention, then I think it definitely shows a disconnect of the corporation with worldwide news, and I think it shows a lot of irresponsibility on their part. I do think that we need to start holding corporations accountable because as an audience, if we watch a movie that perhaps used forced labor in its production or at least collaborated with officials that are using forced labor, then we are consenting to human rights violations as an audience. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode of Here's Your Homework. I know that the subject matter was a little heavy, but there's a lot going on in the world and we need to always stay informed and learn to question all the information that we are given. If you have any questions, doubts, concerns, want to check my resources, or just want to start up some debate, you can always contact me at heresyourhw at gmail.com. Join me next week for another episode of Here's Your Homework, weekly news from a willing nerd.